Hello, it's The Leap of Faith and you're very welcome. Tonight we'll hear of the growing role for grandparents in passing on their faith to the younger generations and how these once children of the 60s are stepping up to the challenges of technology to keep in touch. The first sighting of the new crescent moon next Wednesday or Thursday evening will signal the end of Ramadan and the celebration of Eid will begin. As the government has announced the reopening of places of worship around the country from next Monday, we'll hear from Islamic theologian Sheikh Dr Umar al-Khadri. But first, the Church of Ireland Archbishop of Dublin, the Most Reverend Dr Michael Jackson, has expressed how his church is rejoicing with all those of every faith tradition who will soon be able to worship in person once again. While welcoming the return, some clergy are anticipating that the process will be challenging as they enforce guidelines. The very Reverend Father Brian Shorthall, a Capuchin Franciscan friar and parish priest in Priorswood, Dublin, joins me on the line now. Father Brian, welcome back to The Leap of Faith. As many look forward to next week, what's going to be the impact for you and your parishioners? Good evening, Michael, and uh, good to be back. Yeah, and we are looking forward to getting back, absolutely. Um, we have had very successful online ministry uh, we're looking forward very much now to having uh, our uh, people back in the congregations as well albeit uh, within the guidelines but it's at the same time you know it's uh, it is a step forward because like uh, you know we all felt so i guess um, so much of a struggle you know in the, in the last disconnect in the, in the same ah, sense we, of it, we yeah. have now yeah. the online thing was was a godsend but i mean there's Nothing can can replace the personal touch, the personal contact, and uh, to be able to kind of be around people again. I mean that that's that's something that we're I, I'm looking forward to anyway. Rightly or wrongly, I have you down as one of life's optimists. Um, so what what's the what's the positivity that you're going to take from the the year or so of you being online and and reaching out and connecting in that way? I'd say there's a couple of answers to that. Uh, I, I guess the first positivity is that we, um, I think we reached out to a, a huge amount of people. I mean, I'm not a, a sort of a, a social media statistician, but I mean, you know, nightly we had an average of 220 to 250 people on our rosary in the evenings. Now that's 220 to 250 uh, accounts, social media accounts. Behind those accounts, there were probably four or five people in rooms. So when you'd look in the morning or in the afternoon, and I did because I suppose I'd be a bit curious that way, I was blown away because sometimes you'd see 1.5, 2K, 2.5K. Uh, one broadcast was even up to 8K views, 8,000 views. So, I mean, like, with great respect to, you know, as I said, the people coming back to Mass, and we are really going to relish our people coming back to Mass and, and being able to meet them again, albeit at a social distance. Um, with respect to that, it, it has been phenomenal in that, you know, uh, there has been a huge reach on social media, which perhaps we wouldn't have had in the physical church. That's the first thing. The second thing is the internationality of it, Michael. I mean, we, we've, been, we've, we've been joined, not just, uh, people got up early, uh, you know, in the United States to join us at, at our mass at 10 a.m. on our social media. But we've had people from Denver, Colorado, people from Philadelphia, people from uh, the UK, from Wales, even people from over in the Far East. Uh, one, one particular family member whose people are from here was joining us from uh, one of the Emirates countries, I think, uh, online. You know, and and two parishioners in Brisbane, Australia. So that has been a, an, an enormous, you, you know, uh, sense of hope for me and for us. 
it sounds like you'll have to keep it going. I think we will. I, I, I do believe we should. I think there's a there's a a need now to try and do this in tandem, to, to have the online, to have the, the, the social media on, uh, the webcam on, but also and as well as to have the people with us again. I think I think both and now is, is the way to go forward. I can imagine maybe things like confession might have been able to continue, but you've obviously missed out ma- massively on baptisms, christenings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and people are calling us now to, to book baptisms, to book christenings. And again, at the moment, uh, we, we are trying to do that within the framework of uh, the restrictions in terms of like um, just the baby, mum and dad and godparents. Uh, one ceremony until further advised. Uh, but we really, we, we, have, we have a year's backlog of, mm. of baptisms. Like we, we're just going to have to take it little by little, you know. Who's been looking after you and the, the, the your, your colleagues going through this period? Well, during the during the severe restrictions, uh, we were looking after ourselves. Uh, people uh, were leaving in shepherd's pies and cottage pies and, you know, we, we the deep freeze and people were leaving in uh, like one parishioner was was leaving in uh, uh, every so often beautifully fresh baked uh, sausage rolls. Um, I know one of our rosary family uh, who, who lives in Dublin uh, was dropping up. Um, she's only within the 5K. She was dropping up bags of groceries. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm the two gentlemen that I live with, actually, are both were, were both in charge of my formation when I was training, when I was a student. So so uh, Brother Bill and Brother Terence, uh, and uh, they, in fact, uh, made sure that me and my colleagues, when we were going through our training, were able to cook. So I've, I've been able to cook uh, a little bit, you know, so that's that's what's been happening. Yeah. I'm wondering, too, about um, the changes that's made for you about how you preach or at least how you share your news online, um, because mm. I've heard that uh, if, if people are engaged, they stay with you. But if they're not, they they leave, which you can't do at mass. <laughs> that's true. Uh, but a lot of them didn't leave. Um, like, OK, let's do a small bit of mathematics just for a second. So we probably have an average of 210, 15, 20, you know, Monday to Friday on our online rosary. As I said, again, with that uh, all five continents kind of vibe going to it, you know. So people would would, would, would uh, hop on for the rosary. And uh, what I would do afterwards would be, you know, I would just uh, do a small maybe reflection on scripture or a little bit of... Uh, Catechesis. Now, spliced with that, there might be a bit of um, my interest in music or, or my interest in the arts or my interest in history and also a little Q&A. Now, uh, OK, there might still be like last night before I signed off at quarter past nine, there was still 99 people on. You know, um, it's been a lifeline for them. That's they're not my words. They've said that to me. Uh, they they call themselves our Rosary family, and they refer to myself and Bill and Terence as the three amigos. Terence would do some reflections on his own uh, social media and joins us, of course. Uh, Bill is the DJ. Bill plays the music, so Bill would have uh, some uh, old stuff and uh, some contemporary stuff, um, and and some some requests for you know maybe the, the kind of the county songs. The banner, the banner in Clare, or the, or the Dubs, or the or the Rebel County in Cork, or the Wee North, you know. And so it's it's been it's been a it really has been a roller coaster, you know, and it has kept us sane. It really has. You know? With your parish hat on, you what will from next week? What will it look like for people returning to the physical buildings? 
I'm not going to lie, Michael, in saying that the return to uh, ministry, you know, with people uh, opening the church and and having the, the groups come in again, it's going to be stressful. Like Christmas was quite stressful, I'd be absolutely honest. And I shared this with a lot of friends and also also colleagues in, in, in parishes. It was quite stressful because we had our COVID team. They were all in high vis. Uh, we, 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 we have a large church. So, I mean... The, the, getting to the kind of limit of what we were allowed was was stressful. There was one particular lady who came a little late. Uh, she was she was over the limit uh, in the sense that you, you know uh, she was she was one she was she was the extra one. Mm. And you know, strictly speaking, we couldn't let her in. And she was she was an elderly lady, and she was a very faithful parishioner, but she couldn't come in. And needless to say, there was phone calls, you know, in the in, in the in the in the week after Christmas. You know, it was, was was quite tough. Like I'm not I'm not going to lie, as I said to you, I'm 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 a little bit nervous about, you know, how, just how the choreography of it will go. And finally, what have you been able to say to some people, who, and and it's understandable, who've been very cross and very angry uh, about uh, the fact that they couldn't attend the, the physical building? What have you said to them? There's not a lot to say uh, because, unfortunately, a lot of people that would have been very cross and angry, um, and and maybe justifiably so, um, you know, they would have different reasons for for being cross. I mean, um, we've tried to keep the church open um, for private prayer. Now, I think some people, you, you know, were were in denial that there was a problem, um, and like like for example, one of the questions that 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 I have been I have been often asked, especially coming up preparing for funerals, for example, and they'd say, "Well, is it really twenty five people? Is it really ten people?" And I say, "Look, you know, it's this is not my call. I mean, it's a global pandemic. It's a government restriction, and and it's for people's safety." So that was hard, you know, and and trying to sort of be the man on the ground or be the bad the the the, the one breaking the bad news. So it's been pretty hard. I, I found it. I my personally, I found it very very difficult. I mean, this was a very real, uh, very real, uh, very real, is a very real disease and people became very sick. I, I, I take my hat off to the wonderful nursing staff, medical staff, frontline staff and chaplaincy staff. So, you know, um, again, let's let's look towards the future with hope and with 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 optimism. And we wish you all the very best for the next <clears throat> couple of weeks as uh, the churches begin to uh, slowly reopen again. Father Brian Shortall, thank you for joining us tonight on The Leap of Faith. Thank you. Next this evening, if I mention St. Joachim and St. Anne, would you know them as the grandparents of Jesus on his mother Mary's side? The influence of grandparents in children's lives is something we're about to explore further this evening, particularly when it comes to faith. The Catholic Grandparents Association is the only one of its kind in the world and its founder, Catherine Wiley, joins me now from her home in Walsingham in Norfolk in the UK. Catherine, welcome to the programme. Let's go back a little bit to give people an idea of how this really unique organisation came about. Um, well, I've lived in uh, Shrine Village in England in Walsingham, North Norfolk, with my husband and my family for over 40 years. And 20 years ago, I was in the Shrine just praying and um, at Our Lady's birthday and wondering what I could give her for a birthday present. So to cut a long story short, we uh, the idea came that a, a pilgrimage to honour the grandparents of Jesus and to honour and thank all our own grandparents would delight her. So without further ado, with no experience whatsoever, 
I started the Catholic Grandparents Association, but it was just a pilgrimage at the time. And then we wrote to the Pope, as one does, and asked him if he would be kind enough to write a prayer for grandparents, because at the time myself, I'd become a grandmother and I'd come to quickly realize that it wasn't going to be like I thought. Um, my, my children didn't want to baptize our grandchildren and the same problems that face so many people these days. I, didn't, I hadn't realized how much my faith meant to me even. I was an automatic as a cradle Catholic. So um, we started the grandparents pilgrimage and we wrote to Pope Benedict and asked him to write a prayer for grandparents, um, which he did after seven letters and two visits to the Vatican. And that letter started, that, that, that prayer, Pope Benedict's prayer for grandparents was the instrument that started the Catholic Grandparents Association because it gave me the courage and the confidence with that prayer. And I felt that we had to go forward with it. Mm. And I also recognized that grandparents like myself were, had really lost our confidence. You know, I mean, not just COVID isolates you or, um, you know, makes you feel lonely and worried, but we had lost our confidence in how to pass on the faith or how to be models of faith. And, um, and we discovered after listening that, that this was the case. So the Catholic Grandparents Association grew, um, mainly, I think, because it struck a chord with grandparents of all faiths everywhere um, throughout the world. And finally, after a good few years now, eight years of um, campaigning, we've got the World Day for grandparents and the elderly coming up on the 25th of July this year. I suppose once upon a time, godparents had a certain, uh, you know, obligation towards the, the raising of the child that they stood for. Are you saying this is passed on to grandparents in, in, this, in these times? I think that times have changed enormously in terms of the godparent and the grandparent. I think certainly in years gone by, or maybe not even, Michael, maybe not even in years gone by, you know, you chose godparents because they were going to be fine because everybody was Catholic and everybody practiced the faith. And if you didn't go to mass on Sunday, somebody would come and knock on the door to see if you were sick. <laughs> so, um, and I think then slowly, slowly, as the, as, 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 you know, the scandals hit Ireland and the church was taking a real serious knocking, um, grandparents took over the role and became very concerned and anxious because they realized that faith wasn't being passed on and that they didn't really have the, they became more apologetic about the faith than, than anything else, about how to explain it and to live it. But fortunately, you know, they are, they're shone through, they are the best and probably they're the heart of the home, grandparents. They're the, they really are the heart of the home. And when things go wrong, they're there, they're like an anchor, they're a ballast and you tend to turn to your grandparents. Mm. They have, this very unique relationship with their grandchildren that they sometimes don't even have with their own children. Tell me about that, because, you know, you, you're talking about the idea that maybe children find it easier to to unburden themselves to grandparents. Well, I was very interested in my my 18 year old granddaughter who was signing up her um, university papers recently, and she put her grandfather and myself down as next of kin. <laughs> what about your mother and your father? Will they not be upset? Oh, no, she said, Grand, you know, no, no. Um, no, I think that grand, there is an art to being a grandparent these days. And certainly the role of, you know, everybody thinks that the, 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 the uh, teachers think that it's the parents' responsibility to pass on their faith and the moral development of the children. The parents think it's the school's responsibility. And so somehow or other, we've missed a generation. We're, we're the 1960s uh, children. We were supposed to be the wild bunch. 
and um, the liberators of women and women's movements and all the rest of it. So I'm not sure whether that's when the um, when changing of the faith, passing on the faith changed. But certainly I know that in this day and age, now in my 70s, I, um, I, I just see the incredible necessity to pass on the values and the morals and the dignity of the faith, the, the security that it gives you. Um, and I think that the older we get, the more, the more, the more that we want to bear that out. We want that to be our legacy. I'm curious about when, you know, and your, your organization now has obviously represented in many countries around the world, including here in Ireland. What are the concerns that grandparents present when they get a chance to talk to each other? Oh, you know, it's very common, Michael. The same problems present everywhere. They are very, very concerned about their children falling away from the faith, about their children not uh, attending the sacraments anymore, about their grandchildren not getting baptised, um, about the, um, the effects of divorce and um, separation. Um, you know, we all know that parental alienation is very big on the agenda these days, and the grandparents are right in the middle. I mean, grandparents can very often become the victims of the divorce. And you're not sure sometimes whether grandparents either can be alienators or alienated. So it's very, it, it, grandparents have a very, very different role in this day and age to play in the family. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Tell me about the Faith Cafe, because the, the yeah. idea that people get to meet together with what, a guest speaker? Oh, yes, absolutely. The Faith Cafe has been an incredibly, incredibly wonderful innovation, because last year, um, around October time, we became really worried. Normally, groups will meet in a month or meet in a, a monthly or fortnightly or, you know, they have autonomy to do whatever it is they feel is good for their group or their location or whatever. And they just couldn't get together. And we recognized ourselves as grandparents, what it was like waving at our grandchildren through the window, not being able to see them, how dispirited we'd become. So we brainstormed and thought that how could we get them together and just go, it's very practical and very special because what do you do when you want to meet somebody? You go down to the cafe and you have a cup of coffee and you have a chat and you relax. So we thought that's what we want, an informal setting where we can invite everybody to be together informally, socially, to, to exchange ideas, to support each other, to listen, to be able to reflect on other people's lives and to give us hope. So we have, it lasts for over an hour, just over an hour, and people never want to leave, I have to tell you, which is great news. Um, we have a guest speaker and we've had some fantastic people. We've had Archbishop Eamon uh, Martin, we've had um, Bishop Dennis Nalty, the Chair of Marriage and Family, Fintan Monaghan, um, we've had um, Lorraine Harley Duquin, who writes loads of books on grandparents. So we have a guest speaker who talks for about 40 minutes on something really interesting, really, really good speakers that speak to the heart. And then we have two reflections. Um, upcoming next on the 11th, we have uh, John Armitage, who's the ex-rector of the Shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham, is a fantastic speaker, very interesting. We have a married couple, um, in their great-grandparents from Australia who are doing the reflection and we're having a grandmother from America doing the other reflection. So it's very international. So it weaves people together and it draws them out because they're not, they just feel relaxed and free and mm. people talk from the heart. You know, they listen and they hear and they, they share and it's worked incredibly well. Um, 
you know, so much so that we didn't know whether we were going to continue or not when, the zoo, when, when, when you know, COVID was over, but there's no question that it'll be continuing. And now we're sort of, um, you know, now there's a regular, there are loads of regulars who come. It's a bit like, you know, going to mass, you always have regulars. And so the regulars have been built up and they're bringing their friends and everybody is talking and asking questions. There's very, you know, it's very, it's easy. It's like being with a family. And Michael, that's the point that we are a family and we don't often get the opportunity to act and talk like a family, but because we're all singing from the same hymn sheet and because regardless of the nationality, we share the same anxieties and difficulties and problems. And I think with COVID, I think one of the greatest misses for, for us too was the idea that we're, we're at a certain age when we're really every, every month, every year counts. You know, you don't know what's, what, what's going to be around the corner. And we're aware that we missed out on, on a lot of our grandchildren's up, you know, occasions, graduations. They have two, I know. So it's really brought people together, the Faith Cafe, in a very, very unusual unusually successful way and um you know if you want and you can join anybody can join like let's you just info at catholicgrandparentsassociation.com that's all and we'd be delighted to have everybody you know the more the merrier the more you everybody is welcome Catherine wiley thank you for joining us on the leap of faith tonight thank you very much for having me thank you michael god bless you all for Muslims around the world, the holy month of Ramadan comes to an end next week, coinciding with the first sighting of the new crescent moon. This past month saw the second Ramadan observed in lockdown, and when Islamic theologian Sheikh Dr. Umar al-Qadri joined me earlier, I asked him about the challenges he and others have been facing. Uh, yes, indeed. This was the second uh, Ramadan that we spent in lockdown, um, and this Ramadan was, again, um, a very emotional and very difficult one because it had been more than a year that we had been uh, not able to visit mosque and have congregational prayers. Um, religious services did resume for a while, for a short while, uh, but again, but, uh, there were only 50 people allowed at that time. Um, so, so a lot of uh, members of the community, they, they really miss uh, to be in the mosque, they miss to have the iftar gatherings, they miss the taraweeh prayers, which are very special uh, night prayers um, performed in Ramadan in the mosque. Uh, they miss, you know, the community get together. And um, so, yes, absolutely, it was a difficult Ramadan. But again, we know that um, in many other European countries, mosques and churches and other places of worship have actually remained open. Uh, I was in the Netherlands last month when my father passed away um, and uh, the, the mosques and Islamic centers and churches were all open. Uh, and of course, there was social distancing implemented. Um, it was uh, quite disappointing that despite that um, in other European countries where in fact the ratio and of, of infections was, was much higher than here in home at home in Ireland, uh, the places of worships have remained open um, with the restricted number, but in Ireland they remained closed. Uh, at the same time, I must say that uh, the, the uh, recent announcement by the government was um, you know, was was very welcoming that now from the 10th of May, we are going to resume religious services, congregational prayers in the places of worship. So this is uh, very uh, relieving and I, I'm looking forward to it. Our communities are looking forward to it. Uh, we all uh, want to um, 
remain protected and protect others from, from the virus. We know the virus is still there, but at the same time, we know that the religious um, communities have been extra extremely responsible uh, when for a short while uh, the places of worship were opened. We have remained responsible, churches and, and mosques, etc., that not a single cluster originated from places of worship. Our condolences on the death of your father since we were talking to you last. And as you just bring that up with the next week, of course, the regulations are changing and you will once again be able to have smaller congregations in the mosque. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, we are looking forward to have uh, smaller uh, congregations. In fact, what we have done is we have um, a reservation system in place. So those that would like to uh, attend the prayers in the mosque, whether these are the Friday prayers or the evening prayers, the five daily prayers, or even the Eid prayers, for all prayers, they will have to, members of the Muslim community, they have to uh, reserve their, their place in advance because we have a very a limited number of amount of people that are allowed in, the, in, in places of worship. The current number is 50. Um, and depending, of course, on, on, on the capacity of the place of worship. Um, so we are extremely uh, you know, looking forward to this, to welcome uh, members of our community, at, uh, worshippers again back in the mosques. Finally, can I ask you about the significance of the crescent moon next week? All Islamic events and uh, are are basically associated uh, with the Islamic months. And in the Islamic calendar, the calendar is depending on the lunar cycle. So um, next uh, week, we will be looking at um, the moon and there will be a moon sighting. Uh, mostly the moon sighting actually happens in other uh, you know, Muslim majority countries and we in Ireland simply adopt it. Uh, and we will because it's very difficult here in Ireland because of the clouds and because of um, where we are located uh, to to sight the moon. So moon sighting is quite challenging here. But this is the reason that we will adopt and we will accept the moon sighting reports from other countries. We started this year our Ramadan because the moon was sighted in Saudi Arabia. And uh, if the moon is sighted uh, on Tuesday night, uh, we will have Eid on Wednesday or otherwise on Thursday, um, if not on uh, the 13th of May. How will that be celebrated given the lockdown conditions that continue? Uh, it, it will be celebrated, of course, uh, with, with the restrictions. And uh, as I said, we will have um, not just one Eid prayer. We will have in our Islamic center four different Eid prayers, four different services. Um, and uh, we will make sure that people reserve the place um, and, and then come. For many people that will not be able to come because it's overbooked, they will still be able to participate from home. They will be able to, uh, uh, to watch the live feed on YouTube uh, and the virtual service. They will be able to participate through that. Dr. Al-Qadri, thank you for joining us this evening and Ramadan Karim. Ramadan Karim, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. And you might like to see a short film called Ramadan Sisters this Sunday evening at 25 minutes past five on RTE One television. It follows four teenage Dublin girls living life among their busy families, part-time jobs, helping out the Muslim Sisters of Era and Zoom classes whilst practising their Muslim faith during Ramadan. And that's your leap of faith for this week. Our producer is Sheila O'Callaghan. Our broadcast coordinator is Charlotte Holland. From them and me, Michael Cummins, good night. <laughs>